Hey guys, Michael here with WeddingVideographySchool.com. Hope you're having a great week, great day. I know I am. Uh, man, I am coming up on my next wedding here in just over a week, and it's crazy how time flies. I've had a little bit of time off, um, although it doesn't really feel like it because I've been working on uh, putting together another business and uh, recording podcasts and doing all these other things for other people, and it's just... Uh, Man, it's just crazy how your time, if you're not really, really careful and intentional with your time, it can just, it can just flee from you, right? It can just get away from you. So um, anyway, this, the wedding season is going to be starting up again and I'm going to be pretty busy, but uh, going to be producing as many podcast episodes as I can. And today's episode is a very interesting one. Because I am talking with Mina Sohi of Sohi Productions out in Southern California. Mina's got a great story. And the thing about Mina is she has a way of um, communicating with people that I think is just fantastic. She's able to just hop on a call with you and just talk to you like she's known you forever. And I think that's a really important and, frankly, it's a, uh, an impressive quality to have. And so if you can have that sort of quality uh, communication style, I think, I think you are in great shape. But what makes Mina's story even more interesting is that she went from shooting one wedding to now having uh, 26 weddings booked for this year in just over a year's time, which... I think is pretty pretty incredible. I haven't really heard of too many people going from one to 26 weddings in just over a year. So uh, I'm going to ask her about that. And uh, then we'll turn the tables on me. And, you know, since she is still, in a way, a newbie videographer, right? I want to give her some credit because she's definitely doing her thing and uh, it's it's pretty awesome, but she is still just kind of starting out in her career, so I wanted to make myself available uh, to for her to ask me questions if she had any questions for me, and she did. She had some really great questions that I think are applicable uh, to a lot of people out there listening, so hopefully you guys get some helpful information out of that, and we're going to jump into that interview right after this. Hey guys, Michael here. Hope you're enjoying this podcast episode. If you're a new wedding videographer or thinking about taking the plunge into shooting weddings full time, I encourage you to check out my new video series, The Big Ten. This series will walk you through setting up your business legally and will also teach you the top 10 commandments for running your wedding videography business with no fear. You see, when I first started out as a wedding videographer, I did a lot of things wrong. And yes, some of those mistakes cost me thousands of dollars, some of them only cost me $100, but all of them cost me my pride. It's taken me almost a decade to get to the place where I feel comfortable helping people just like you navigate this sometimes odd but incredibly rewarding career path. So let me help you get your business started the right way. And just for being a listener of this podcast, you're going to get 50% off the cost of the series through the month of April. So head over to WeddingVideographySchool.com, click on the Resources tab, and select the Big Ten. Enter the promo code PODCAST10, all lowercase and all one word, the word PODCAST, and the number 10. This will change your business for the better. 
Hey, Mina, thanks for coming on and, uh, and talking with us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. So um, we, we connected a little while back and I want you to kind of go over, tell everybody your story about how you got started in wedding videography and basically like, um, you know, what, what, where you've been and kind of where you're going, that sort of, uh, that sort of synopsis. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I never thought of videography as an actual job. Um, I come from a marketing position where I was doing Monday through Friday, nine to five. And it was something that I was really comfortable in. But um, a, a lot in the past, I would create, you know, like slideshows, uh, things on like iMovie. And it wasn't until last year through an unfortunate event, um, my partner ended up getting cancer and I was like, I had the idea of picking up a video camera and I started filming things that we would do and I started sharing them, um, you know, online and on Facebook and on Instagram. And through that, I got my first wedding. Somebody responded and was like, Hey, I really like your work. Like, would you mind filming my wedding? And this was a, a friend of mine that I had went to high school with. And so it was, it was something that was really casual and I hopped right, right on it. I was like, that sounds like a really cool thing to do. And then after I filmed, I, you know, I spent a lot of time obviously doing the research. And, and at that point I was already really interested in a lot of like the cinematic delivery of, of videos. And I think from there is like when I really did start my like YouTube education, I like to call it, you know, I, I always joke around, like I spent so much time in school and here I am doing something so opposite than what I ever thought I would do, but I'm just learning it through all of these sources that I'm, I'm finding, you know, on my own and trying to be as resourceful as I can. So from there, I filmed my first, first wedding and, you know, I kind of just went at it with, with some instinct. Like if I was getting married, what would, what would I want out of a video? And I kind of felt out the couple and I made my first delivery and I shared it and everyone loved it. And, and since then I've been, you know, I, I beefed up my marketing. I actually started a brand. I started an Instagram page I, you know, ended up quitting my full-time job, which was just, uh, you know, like six, six months into it. And, um, you know, I'm pretty booked out this entire year going into 2018, which is really, really crazy to me. I'm, I'm filming weddings in Hawaii and Sedona, Arizona, which is pretty cool for me because I don't travel that much, but, but I'm starting to see, you know, a pattern of, of people enjoying what I do and myself really enjoying what I do. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, so you started with one wedding. How yep. many, how many weddings do you have booked, uh, right now? Right now I'm going on 26 actually. I'm just about to close up a wedding in Oklahoma, which is, you know, a ways away from me as well. So yeah, that's, that's crazy. That's, that's a huge number to get in just uh, just around a year or so's time. Um, are you traveling for a lot of these weddings or what's, what's yes. the deal there? 
Um, and maybe tell us, like, of... tell everybody where you live and that sort of thing. Absolutely. So I live in Southern California, um, a little city called Westlake Village, um, pretty close to L.A. and basically in the middle of a lot. So I do have a lot of local weddings, but I think that a good amount of them as well are not they're not too far. They're not, they're not like destination weddings, but say like two, three hours away. Um, and then I've got a few that I actually have to travel to another state for like Hawaii, for example, which I'm really excited for. That's coming up in June. Um, and then other, yeah, like other states as well. Very cool. So what would you say, I mean, especially to the people that are just starting out, it's crazy to me. You just started a year ago. Like what, what is it's that unreal? A, yeah. What, I mean, and here's the thing, like people always kind of give me excuses about why they don't get started and why they don't, um, you know, like I don't have gear, I don't have whatever, uh-huh. like, but I found that like when I first started, I didn't really have a lot of gear either. Same. I, I, I had a Canon T7i, which was like, an, you know, at the time a bundle is like 800 bucks. And then I bought a, a steady cam for the first time, actually, which literally took me like five hours to learn how to how to balance and um I just started with with the basics and I really did like take it step by step from there like okay if I'm making an income out of a wedding I'm really going to invest that into things that are going to make me better like you know better audio better um coloring software for for editing and things that, that I think in my mind I was fine tuning because like I mentioned before, like I, I was really going for that cinematic type of look. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I guess it's one of those things where like you can do whatever you set your mind to. And yeah. you, you know, you mentioned that you had, uh, there was somebody in your family with cancer and, uh, you know, you're coming, you're dealing with that, but you still were able to start this business and, um, yeah, I think that's something that I like more than anything that I like to show people is like, it doesn't really matter what your situation is. There's no reason you can't get started. This is true. Yeah. And it, and it really does, you know, come from a, like a fire within you. And, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer in like putting your all into everything you're going to, you're, you really are going to put it into everything and slowly you're going to see outcomes for that. And I was talking to my partner after this year and I was saying, like, I feel so bad even saying that, like, it was it was a great year for for the both of us, other than the fact that, you know, we had such a hard thing going on. Yeah, but in turn, it in turn, it ended up being being a good year. Yeah. And that's that's just incredible. I yeah, I'm I'm happy to hear it. And it's, it's just such a cool story. Um, how I'm sure what most people are wondering is like, how did you go from one to 26 weddings in a year's time? Yeah, I know. And I kind of think back on it also. And I'm, I'm actually trying to like, I I keep very organized with my, with my clients and I like to categorize them into buckets. Like, like I said, I come from a, a very corporate type of lifestyle. So I've got like Excel sheets on top of Excel sheets and trying to see where, what has been working best for me and for me it has been word of mouth and it's crazy to say but I guess I guess actually it's been a lot of like Facebook 
word of mouth and Instagram word of mouth. Um, I like to get my audience, you know, involved with what I do. And um, I kind of look at the fact that, you know, we have a Facebook and for me, like, I, I have a ton of friends on Facebook. So it's like that, that is my audience every day. You know, I'm, I, people are putting out things on Facebook every day. So I was like, I'm just going to use this to my advantage. And I started talking about my business and I would post things and have people tag brides that are, you know, getting married and in the upcoming years, start having a conversation. And a lot of the, a lot of the brides that I start conversation with, they, you know, they don't book until maybe four or five months after sometimes, but they still always remember that initial conversation, which has in turn really helped for me. Yeah. And I think, I, I don't know if I brought that up before, but a lot of the clients that I get are not clients who book me immediately. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people get frustrated when you have a conversation that you think went really well, but why didn't they book me? Like most people, when they first make that first initial phone call or send you that email or whatever, like they're still just kind of getting started and figuring things out, figuring out how much things are going to cost. So a lot of people are in that information slash, you know, financial preparation mode and they're not ready to book. So it's not uncommon for me to, to have people book like three months after they originally talked to me. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I I would always kind of get uh, turned like a little bit nervous about that too in the beginning. Because in the beginning, it was like you know I'm just testing the waters. Like let's let's just see what happens, you know. But seeing it in a full year, like I'm starting to see that return now with the brides that I talked to right when I started, and and even some of those, you know, other people have booked their dates, and it, it's weird to be able to actually say like they're like oh man I should have. I should have booked when I talked to you before. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I, I get the same thing um, where like, you know, they just wait too long or whatever. And then I'm already booked, but um, yeah. So quick question. I know this is something that um, probably a lot of people are, are wondering. Mm-hmm. Um is there like a good social media kind of tip or is there something interesting that you've learned about using like Facebook or Instagram that you think has really helped you? Like, I don't know if it's as simple as making sure you use certain tags or whatever, but is there some sort of like social media kind of uh, tip that you could give people? Um, Honestly, I think it's just evaluating your, your own audience. Like I said, like I don't, I, I never was using Facebook before because I felt like I was mostly on Instagram and Facebook was a lot of like people sharing like what's going on and things like that. But, but for me and the audience that I have, and I'm 28 and a lot of my friends you know we're coming up on our 10-year reunion which in the back of my mind you know I'm thinking they already started a group and they asked what people are doing and I shared my website and so many people are getting married and they're you know my peers are now starting to get married so I think you know for everyone I would say like evaluate your own audience and really think about the people who you want to network with and how you can get those conversations going 
with them and to just continue to talk about your brand, not where it's, you know, super salesy and everywhere you go, you're talking about how you're a wedding videographer, but there are a lot of opportunities out there and, you know, you never know who's listening. Yeah, that's, that's, uh... and so, so social media wise, like, like I said, for some people, it'll be, it'll be Instagram because that's where their followers are most active. Some people, it could be, you know, something different. Yeah. How do you figure out where, where like your audience is? Like I mentioned for me, most of the people that I know that were my peers when that I, that, hmm, how would I say that? A lot of, a lot of the people that I consider my peers now are mostly on, on Facebook. And I feel like Facebook is a place where you can actually have conversations about, you know, I can post a video and I feel like it's, it's, it's easier for me to reach the people who I think could become my potential clients. And a lot of the people who I've worked with um, in the first year have been people who I've known, you know, through high school or they were cousins with someone who I went to high school with. And a lot, I'm seeing a lot of that um, come up for me as uh, people from the past because, because of Facebook. Right. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, I, with the social media stuff, like, I, I'll be honest, I've never been, like, super good at any of that. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I get the basics of how it works and stuff. I'm just now, after eight years of, like, not advertising, um, just now kind of getting into just testing out a little bit of Instagram advertising. And I think, you know, for me, it's, it's, I've never had to advertise and I still don't really need to, but mm -hmm. I've found that as your prices get higher and higher, um, you know, the, the amount of potential clients that you have shrinks that, that yeah. pool of people that can afford you starts to shrink. So then in response, you kind of need to up your advertising a little bit when you get into the, the higher price points. I think anything above, you know, 4,000, you, you got to start advertising a little bit. Um, yeah. Just to get in front of people who can afford that. So, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's stuff for people to think about out there. Um, yeah. It really is all about your audience. You know, like you said, like you raise your prices, you need a, a pool of audience that, you know, is ready, ready and actually wants because a lot of people out there do want that high price packaging and like pristine work. And there's, there's a big audience for that. Yeah. And so are there any, is there anybody out there that whose films that you watch or videos that you oh. watch that you really like and yes, that, yeah. Talk, talk about some of like your influences or people who you, um, you know, look up to or people that have like really helped you along. Sure. Um, I started watching Craig Adams from wedding film school, like right when I picked up the Canon and it, it was, it was, it was awesome because I feel like I learned so much from watching, um, you know, a lot of the stuff that he teaches and, uh, another team that I really enjoy and, and I, I hope to hire one day when they, when I get married is, uh, white and rivery, which you've mentioned before. Oh um, yeah. 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 Their stuff is just, it's so beautiful and it really like 
when I when I'm thinking of you know a cinematic delivery, I always think about their films. Very cool. Yeah, it's. I think it's good to have um, people to look up to and people to draw inspiration from, mm-hmm. as well as people to to kind of help along, right? So if there's somebody near you who needs who needs help with their camera or figuring things out or figuring out how to how to start the business or whatever, I think it's important for everybody to kind of have somebody to to mentor them, but also someone to mentor. So um, yeah. I feel like you learn a lot more with that kind of setup um, than you would if you were just hanging out by yourself. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, a lot of these people are very open to speak to you about it. Like I, I've just, you know, reached out to a few of them at times and just been like, you know, love your work. How do you do this? And you'd be surprised at how often you get a response. So, you know, take that extra step and ask that question. Yeah. Perfect. So one of the things that you and I had talked about was kind of doing some sort of like, I don't want to call it like a newbie Q&A because you have like 26 weddings. So I almost feel like <laughs> maybe you're not a newbie anymore. I, I uh, still feel like I am. I, I'm definitely going to learn a lot after this 26 weddings. And, and I feel like, uh, you know, well, I'll definitely learn from that. <laughs> okay. Well, so I wanted to do like a, like a, I guess, I don't have a better word for it, but newbie kind of Q and Q and a session. Um, and I know that you've kind of been jotting down some questions that you have and mm-hmm. which is super helpful for me. Cause I know there's a lot of people out there just getting started. And I think they're like waiting for me to talk about certain things that I don't even remember that I should talk about. Right. Cause I don't remember the questions I had five years ago or even I don't even remember the questions that I had a month ago. So, um, so yeah, I I'd love to field those questions and maybe, you know, you have some of the same questions that other people have and we can, yeah, for sure. we can answer those together and, and, you know, maybe help a few people out. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I did have a few questions for you and the, the a lot of these, you know, have stemmed from my experience the past year. So um, my first question is, how did you get your clients when you first started off and you didn't have much of a budget for marketing? Yeah, so I've talked a little bit about this, but, you know, I can pretty much tell you exactly what I did. I actually went on. Um, so the first thing that happened, my, my path is a little different just because I didn't set out to become a wedding videographer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was I was at this job where I was making 11 bucks an hour. And I knew that I couldn't do that for the rest of my life. And, um, you know, my mom had passed away recently. And so I was kind of out on my own and, you know, there was all this other stuff kind of going on. Um, so it was definitely, I definitely felt like I was in like this cyclone, like a whirlwind of, um, just craziness and chaos around that time in my life. Um, and, so when you, when I answer this question, I want people to kind of realize that I wasn't necessarily trying to start a business. I hadn't decided that I was going to start a business. Um, so in the beginning, I just shot a wedding because somebody asked me to do it. Right. It was a friend of mm-hmm. mine. And so I shot that wedding and then I shot another wedding for that same friend. Um, he had another 
Didn't he like pay you to shoot his friend's wedding or something like that? No, nothing like that. He just asked me if I would. Um, So I did two for free. One was out in Chicago. So I said, I'll do it, but you got to pay for my flights and stuff because I'm obviously not going to do that because I'm just doing the wedding for free anyway. Um, And it was really just to kind of see if I could do it because I knew I wanted to start making extra money. At the Mm -hmm. time, I didn't know that I'd be able to quit my job eventually. So that wasn't really on my mind although i did i knew that i wanted to you know do something else um so i when i kind of decided that i wanted to shoot weddings full time and i thought you know this is going really well like i've done a couple of these and i think i could really you know i could start making money on the side that's kind of how it started out is i wanted to do it on the weekends just to supplement my income but um yeah, the I'd say Craigslist was like the first thing I ever did. I just went on Craigslist and said, I am a new wedding videographer. Here's uh, two weddings that I shot. And I posted the two weddings that I did for free. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, if you want me to shoot your wedding, I'm going to charge you 250 bucks. And wow. I, I think like within which, yeah, I know it sounds so crazy. I mean, it's just like I might as well have done it for free again. Um, and then I got a response like immediately, like within like the same day. Um, so I quickly took the ad down cause I was freaked out and I was like, okay, I got a wedding with strangers. So this is going to be a little bit different. Um, <laughs> I went, I shot it. It worked out. They liked it. Uh, the makeup artist who was there, uh, doing makeup was like, I'm getting married, like in a couple months, would you do my wedding? And I was like, yeah. And so I gave her my um, card that I had made up. I had had the foresight to have some business cards made up. Um, mm-hmm. And I gave her my card and she called me and I was. she said, how much? And I said, 500. So I just doubled, you know, what yep. I did at the previous wedding because I knew I wasn't charging enough. And I was like, just hoping at that point, I was like, man, maybe someday I'll get to a thousand, right? Like, yeah, that would be awesome if I could, if I could do that. Um, and so, yeah. And then I think I shot another one at maybe like 750 because I was too scared to jump straight to a thousand. And then um, I went to a thousand. But I think I think Craigslist is pretty much the way to go um, or some sort of Facebook post. Um, yeah. A lot of it is getting out there, too. Like you had booked another wedding from that makeup artist. So that was just being there. And yeah, know, some of it's job. definitely like coincidental. Right. Um, like that. Um, but I think there's a, so many people I know, and I'm not saying about wedding videographers, but just so many other people that I know in life, they just sit, right? They just sit and they wait for something good to happen, right? Yeah. They wait there. And they always say to me like, oh, well, I'm just waiting for this opportunity to come. I'm waiting for the next opportunity. But like yeah. opportunity doesn't just come along. Like you have to be out there doing things in order to... see those opportunities right so me getting on craigslist and being proactive and saying i'd like to shoot another wedding i'm gonna make up a little ad here um like that was me being proactive and so you know we can say like oh yeah but you got lucky because then the makeup artist or whatever but had i not met that makeup artist i would have just gone out on craigslist again and just doubled the price and i'm sure somebody would have hired me yeah so it really is just kind of um, just starting is probably the, the easiest way to get clients, um, mm-hmm. and, and Craigslist. 
Yeah, for sure. So yeah, ho hopefully that answers answers that question. Um, my next question is, what are some musts when shooting a back-to-back -back wedding, which I'll be doing for the first time this year a couple of times? Yeah, back-to-back -back weddings. Um, uh, I would say the most important thing is just preparation. And what I yeah. like to do is I like, so they're back-to-back. -back. So basically you shoot a wedding on a like a Saturday and then you go to the hotel or usually I end up at a hotel. Um, and then I wake up and I shoot another wedding the next day. So I like to think about how I want that night in between weddings to look. And for me, I want it to be as quiet and peaceful and <laughs> whatever is possible so that I can sleep. Right. Mm -hmm. So, and I, what I don't want to do is I don't want to get to the hotel after shooting my wedding and then have to unload all my gear and like charge all these batteries on 10 different chargers throughout the hotel room and dump footage to hard drives or anything like that. Like, I don't want to deal with any of that. So yeah, I basically pre-plan to have, you know, either if I know that, you know, I'm going to shoot across eight batteries for one wedding, then I'm going to bring 16 fully charged batteries, right? Yeah. Um, maybe you don't have 16 batteries. Well, either double up on chargers or, you know, actually when I first started traveling and shooting back-to-back -back weddings, I only had two battery chargers. So uh -huh. I would wake up every like two and a half hours to switch out oh, the batteries, man. which <laughs> was like, looking back, it's like so sad and like kind of pathetic seeming to me now. But back then, that's just like what I had to do. I just had to set my yeah. alarm so that my batteries, so that I could charge like eight batteries throughout the night on those two chargers. So um, that's that's always an option. Although if you can afford to just buy some extra cards and extra batteries and stuff like that, then um, you know once once you shot the first wedding, you just pull out all the cards um, and keep the batteries separate and everything, and then just put in the new cards and. Like that's pretty much it. Like you can really make that night in between weddings, like pretty, pretty easy. Yeah. Um, you know, I, it's, it's one of those things and you got to think about your clothes too. Like I always just have everything ready to go. Like anything that I think, Oh, I'll just do that when I get to the hotel. Um, I pretty much stop myself and say, no, you're going to do it before you get to the hotel. Um, that way, that way, once I get there, I can just sleep. Um, yeah, for sure. Sleep and eat. That's that's pretty much it. Yeah, I know. I've I've been trying to kind of play that scenario in my mind as well. And you're right. I mean, you definitely don't want to be waking up and jeopardizing your sleep just to charge batteries and stuff. So, uh, one more, another thing I'd say real quick about just kind of preparation is make sure you have like a to do list, right? Like uh -huh. uh, like an equipment list, but also like everything you need to do and have with you. Um, so something that I, I screwed up a while back is I went all the way out to Devil's Thumb Ranch here in Colorado, which is about three hours from where I live. And so I drove there, got to the venue, got a couple evening shots. I was packing up my stuff and getting ready to head over to the hotel, um, to get some sleep before the wedding the next day. And I realized that I had totally forgot to bring my dress clothes. 
And so um, I had to drive to like the nearest place that had dress clothes. And it was like oh, seven, no. it was like seven o'clock at night. And I was like, uh oh, like, I don't think anybody's going to be open. So the nearest place was like at this mall, like an hour and a half away. And I was oh, like, oh, it's seven now. So if I left now, I'd get there at, you know, 930 and they're going to close or what, 830 or whatever. And they're going to close at nine. And I was like, uh, man, I just got to get there. So I got there. I went in, I quickly bought like, you know, the clothes that I needed. And then I had to drive back. So it turned, you know, my trip from three hours to six hours. So turned it into a mission. I know that's crazy. Yeah. I've left a, um, uh, my battery and my battery charger charging in an outlet at a venue that was like two hours away. Yeah. Yeah. And a, and a steady cam. And it's like, once you forget it and it's so far away, it's like consider it a loss. Yeah. I, that's definitely happened to me a couple of times. Um, there's been a couple of times where I went back for a piece of equipment, but there's definitely some equipment that I just left. Cause I was like, I, I don't, the thought of driving back two hours from where I just came and then just having to drive another two hours, like, no. Uh, it, <laughs> so you yeah, want to make sure that, yeah. So you just want to make sure that you have a list and that you're keeping track of what you need to do. Um, For sure. That, that prevents things um, like that from happening. Cool. Okay. Thanks for that. Um, my next question is, and this hasn't happened to me yet. And I've, I've heard horror stories about it and I just kind of want to see if you have any experiences with it. And, um, it is how to avoid any busted cards. Yeah. So like, you mean like the cards just corrupt or something? Yeah. So I've heard, you know, I have a friend in town who's a videographer and he had mentioned one time that, um, he had speeches from the reception and the card just was corrupted for those files and he didn't have them and, um, or other parts of the, of the wedding. Yeah. Um, I would say that you're, sometimes you're not going to be able to prevent that. Sometimes it's just going to be a defect in the card and you really don't have any way of knowing until it happens, which is a pretty brutal way to find out that you're missing clips. But, um, I could probably give a couple pieces of advice. One is um, make sure that, you know, you're, I like to use the same cards and the same cameras. Uh -huh. um, so like I have a couple like 128 gig cards that I throw in my Canon 5D Mark threes right now. And um, I record pretty much the whole wedding like on that one card, which I know like people yeah. are like, why would you do that? You're supposed to spread it out across like five different cards or whatever. But to me, it's like, honestly, this is going to sound bad, but if I lose a, if I lose clips from a wedding, like depending on how bad it is, I almost would rather just lose the whole wedding. Um, yeah. because you're going to, you might end up in a situation, listen, you might end up in a situation that's pretty positive where like you only lost three clips and whatever you can get by. But like knowing my luck, like I'm going to lose the most important parts and then I'm still going to have to try to cobble something together for people. And I'd rather just be like, uh, it's a total loss. And I know yeah. that that probably would shock a lot of people. 
Um, thankfully, it's never happened. Um, knock on glass here. That's all I got. But uh, <laughs> yeah, thankfully, it's never so happened. But I would say formatting your cards correctly. So, you know, using the same cards and the same cameras. I mean, if you're using, let's say you're using two Sonys, right? You, yeah. you can, those are interchangeable. You can use them, but I always format my cards before I start the wedding day, right? So I know that uh, the footage that's on the card now has already been backed up three times. I don't need any more. So I format it um, and then I'm ready to go. But I format it in the camera that I'm gonna use, right? So um, I don't go around switching cards from one camera to another. Or if you're using SD cards, uh, you can put those in like, you can put those in audio recorders. You can put them in uh, cameras. You can put them in different devices. Like I don't go switching them around like that. Um, mm -hmm. I just don't think it's great. And then once I get the footage, so like once I, once I have the footage on the card and I'm ready to transfer it to hard drives, I open it up on the computer and then I go in and I, what I do is I actually copy all the files over. So I don't like click the files that are on the actual card and then drag them into a folder. Uh -huh. um, I actually just highlight them all and then copy them and then paste them into the folder that I want them to go in. Um, I don't know if it really matters, but I have heard people that have said like, hey, we think if you, if you drag the clips that they're more likely to be corrupt. I don't know if there's any truth to that, but I don't want to find out. So yeah, I always just, I didn't know about that. That's something to, to think about. Yeah. Yeah. So I always just copy them over. Okay. But unfortunately I don't, I don't have like a foolproof way for you to not, um, mess up a card. I would just say, keep track of your cards. I told the story of how I lost toasts at a wedding. Yeah, toast audio. Yeah. And the reason why, or I didn't lose the toast audio. I lost the toast video. Thankfully I was recording the audio on a separate recorder, but, mm -hmm. um, I, I lost the video because, you know, the card that I was using in my camera, I thought, you know what, this card is getting pretty full. If the toast goes long, I don't want to run out of space. So I went and switched the cards out, which was fine and what I expect anybody out there to do. Um, but what happened is I actually lost or I forgot that I put the toasts on there. And by the time I was ready to edit the wedding, you know, weeks and weeks had gone by. Um, and I had already formatted the cards a few, a few times. So, oh, I see. so because I forgot that I put that video on that card, I just like left it and I must've thought it was a, a card that I could format and, um, that stuff got erased. So I, I would say almost more importantly than worrying about whether your card's going to co go corrupt. Cause that's, it's really only, I've only ever lost like one clip to that. Um, I would say that your bigger risk is probably just keeping track of your cards and making yeah, sure definitely. that you always put them when you're done with them, put them in the same spot in the same case, um, whatever, label them, do whatever you have to do to make sure you keep track of them. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, the next question we kind of touched on in our last conversation, and I thought it was interesting, um, is if you think that having a drone in your kit and providing drone footage is like becoming the new norm. And if we're headed to a place where, you know, it, it it's not an add-on that you add to your package, but it's something that is just 
considered, you know, part of every package. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. I definitely think it's becoming more mandatory. That said, I do think it's, we're kind of in that phase that we were a few years ago with like sliders where everybody was using sliders um, yeah. to get like those kind of like dolly looking shots. Mm -hmm. um, and then you just had all these wedding videos that were like 50 slider shots back to back. Um, yeah, right. Which, which is, left and right and up yeah, and down. Because everybody <laughs> was just like super hyped that they could finally get this shot, you know, that they'd always wish they could get. And so I think it's the same thing is happening with drones. Um, you know, I've seen wedding videos where like, like all like 40% of the footage is drone footage. And it's like, we're, we're definitely abusing it the same way we did with sliders. So I'd say, you know, I like to just do like maybe five max shots per wedding. I Sometimes I go over that. Um, sometimes I go under that too, because, you know, I it should just be like a really subtle kind of cool thing. Yeah. Um, at least that's what I think. But uh, so, yeah, I do think it's important to do it. I would say that you know, um, it's important for people out there who are operating a drone for wedding purposes to get some training. I don't think hands-on training is a bad idea, but mm -hmm. the, you should at least, um, you should at least get your part 107 commercial drone operators license, which sounds like a huge deal, but it's, it's really not that difficult. There's a website yeah. called uh, remotepilot101.com. Uh -huh. And that course is awesome. Like that dude, uh, I forget his name. I should know it because I watched all those videos over and over. But uh, he he's awesome. And he basically teaches you everything you need to know to pass the test and nothing that you don't need to know. Um, nice. and, and as we move forward in the world of drones, like right now the FAA can't really crack down on everybody who's not operating you know, legally. And if you're flying for weddings, you are supposed to have a commercial drone license, um, yeah. which I know is annoying and it's a pain in the ass to like dedicate a bunch of time to learning about all that stuff. But yeah. um, I, I think it's important that people do it. And I think you're going to run into venues and um, people who are going to want to see your kind of your like your documentation of like do you have a license do you have um do you have insurance like mm -hmm. all that stuff is going to start really it's gonna people are going to start cracking down on illegal drone operators so i would rather work now towards getting that part 107 than yeah. to wait and then find yourself like not able to really shoot at a bunch of places because you don't have it um so yeah, I might just have to do like a whole episode on drones. Um, yeah, and so was it was it a pretty simple test? Or I've heard that um, you know, like you like you mentioned, the preparation time is a little hefty, but yeah, too crazy. You know, I I really went into that course um, with I knew that I wanted to. Uh, get my license. I knew that I, it's just something I knew I needed to do because I, I was already starting to get harassed a little bit out here in Colorado, which yeah, Colorado is usually pretty like, Hey, just do, you know, you can pretty much do whatever you want. Just don't be an idiot kind of a place. Um, and venues were starting to be like, no, you can't fly that here. 
right? Yeah. And then they would, like, I had a couple of venues whose lawyers were, like, kind of, like, up to, sort of up to date. Like, they knew that I needed a Part 107, and they'd be, like, um, they'd, like, the, they, the venue coordinator would, like, look at me, look down at this piece of paper from their attorney and be like, do you have a part 107 certificate? <laughs> like in a robot yeah. voice, like asking me for this document that I didn't have. And so I realized pretty quickly, like, okay, I need this. My clients really want drone stuff. Like I need to do this. So yeah, uh, yeah I, I wouldn't say the test is particularly hard, but you didn't, you do need to study for it. I went into it feeling really, really confident and I got a 90%. Okay. Um, so, which is great, but honestly, I kind of thought that I would get like a 95 or like a 98. So I was actually like kind of surprised that I got a 90. So how many questions were there? I don't know, but they're multiple choice, which is fine. Except if you don't know the answer, so they're going to yeah, get you. Right. So, um, I, I don't know, it might've been like 50 questions or something. It probably okay. took me like an hour or less to do the test. Um, it, it wasn't that difficult. You do need to go and pay like 150 bucks to take the test at an approved yeah. testing site. Um, but I actually just had a kind of an intern guy. Uh, he, he came with me to a couple weddings and kind of, he seemed like he was interested in the drone stuff. And he said, I'm going to go out and I'm going to get this, uh, this license or whatever. So he took the remote pilot 101 course online and then he went out and got the, uh, he took the actual written knowledge test. And, uh, yeah. I think he got like an 80 something, 85, 86 or something. But I, I could tell he definitely rushed through it a little bit more than I did. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, it, I wouldn't say it's particularly hard, but you might have to study more than you think you do. Yeah. There's a bunch of new information that you're probably just not going to know because you're not, if you're not a pilot. Right. So, um, there's yeah, some so weather far, and maps really and stuff. Had, I'm sorry. I was just saying like, so far we, I haven't really had any intense, um, run-ins in regards to the drone the funny funny thing is that you mentioned that um they're a little bit more on it in colorado and i think the only time that i was ever asked to bring it down was one time when i was visiting colorado yeah yeah so there's there's different places where you can and can't fly uh, yeah. there's a great podcast called um drone U. I like their podcast i don't love their website i'm not knocking the website i just um, I don't really love, and I don't really love their course. Like I started out trying to take that course and it, uh -huh. I think they just need somebody different to like shoot it. I haven't taken it in a while, so maybe they've updated it, but, um, the drone you podcast is, is a great place for people to start kind of listening, um, to get more information about, about drone stuff. Um, cool. but yeah, it's, it's an emerging industry. And so I'm pretty heavily involved in it and I can say that it's so far, it's been like a really fun kind of endeavor and and Denver endeavor, but um, it's also been a real like pain in my ass um, in a lot of other ways. So I'll, we'll have to do like a whole different episode on that, but um, 
yeah, you, you should at least get the part 107. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, I'm going to skip through some of these here and ask you, since we're um, about to hit our time here. Um, I struggle a lot in my weddings. I'm noticing, like, thinking too much about when I want to switch my camera from monopod to gimbal because it takes like a quick, you know, at least minute and a half to two minutes to, you know, balance it, get it ready, you know, get your camera settings ready and then have it set. And I feel like either I'm trying to switch on and off too often or I don't know. I, I always just find myself like once I'm on the gimbal, I, I'm thinking like, oh, I just wish I had an extra hand to get this shot, you know. Yeah. And, that, and I want to kind of switch off. But I mean, that that could, you know, just be as much as like I need to find a trusted second shooter. You know, I've kind of tested the waters with with some people and I'm still trying to find like the right person that I can team up with. Or I was even thinking like having a camera on a monopod and then having it set up on a gimbal and just being able to switch on and off. But that gets hard a little bit when, say, you know, the bride's moving around or they're starting to do pictures and things like that. So I am kind of just want to see what you think about that and if you've ever, you know, had this same issue. Yeah, um, I definitely have had that issue. Uh, boy. You know, I think about back when I had the Ronin, um, you know, switching on and off of that was such a pain. And I always wish that I had like a dedicated camera for that. Um, yeah. And after the ceremony's done, I pretty much do have a dedicated camera for that that I could just leave on. But I, I think there's three options for you. One is to simplify. Um, and that's probably going to be the lamest of options for you. Because uh-huh. when I say simplify, I mean like, lose lose the gimbal if it's causing you a bunch of uh, hassle right like just kind of simplify your setup um the second option is to get a dedicated camera for the gimbal so you don't have to keep taking it on and off that's probably one of the better solutions and then obviously the the other the other way you could go about it is getting a second shooter to um to manage that which i forget which gimbal did you say which gimbal you're using? So I'm using the Zion Crane right now, the two. Okay. Is that electronic? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, with those, and does it have an app that yes. goes with it? Okay. I, I usually just set, like, I know what speed I like for my panning and stuff like that. So rarely do I ever, like, mess with the app while I'm... I know with the I'm... Ronin, you have to, like, when you put the camera on, first you have to go through this crazy, like, balancing thing. I don't know... If... Yeah. That's at least that's what you had to do on the first generation. I don't know about the the newer generations. I have the MX and I, and I bought it and I literally used it one time at that first wedding that I did that I told you they they just asked me to do their wedding and I invested in some gear that happened to be one of them and I've never taken it back to a wedding only because it was just too hard for me. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, I, that's the same problem I had with the Ronin was that it was just too much setup time. Like once you got it, you know, I, I was shooting the mountains all the time. Right. And I got to go up these chairlifts and I'd get my, all my gear up there 
And then I had to carry around the Ronin and the stand for it because you couldn't put the Ronin down like on the ground exactly. and leave it on. And then you had to like go through this like auto tune process sometimes. And so you'd yeah. be sitting there waiting for it to do that. And then sometimes it wouldn't like do it right. And then like everybody's waiting for you and you're like, uh, yeah. hold on just one sec, you know, telling the photographer to wait. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really, that's like kind of my struggle, you know, not, not as intense when it comes to the Ronin and the setup, but even it, it takes more setup time. Right. And, you know, now that I'm saying it, I'm, I'm thinking like a second camera on it, on the gimbal, just kind of set up to the side. And whenever I need it, I could just grab, go over there, grab it might just be the best solution for me. Yeah. I, I think the two best solutions are if you're by yourself, a dedicated camera that you don't take off the gimbal um, and if you have a second shooter, somebody who knows that gimbal and can at least get it prepped for you, if you want to be the one to do the shots, or if you trust mm -hmm. them to get the shots, then that's fine as well. Um, but those are probably the two solutions. I know they're going to come out with, uh, like the Ronin S, which kind of looks interesting, but I don't know that it's going to be that much better than the Osmo other than you can put like a, a DSLR on it, which will definitely help with the image quality. Um, yeah, but the walking shots are pretty tough with that to not get the up and down motion. Other than that, like I still really like the glide cam, especially the Devin Graham glide. Yeah, cam. I think that was the best one they've ever come out with. Um, so yeah, the glide cam is a little easier to manage and it's quicker to like just throw a camera on there and and get going. So um, I, I kind of recommend re recommend that as well. Okay, for sure. Um. And then uh, last question that I had for you is what's been, you know, I, I hear you talk a lot about like, like the satisfying outcomes of becoming a wedding filmmaker and how you get to set your own schedule and things like that. But aside from like the perks of setting your own schedule and things like that, what would you say is like the most satisfying outcome of everything of, of, you becoming a wedding filmmaker yeah um I'm sure there's like ways that i can't even measure or count uh, and things that I, I don't even realize that have changed um it's crazy when i think back on like where i was making 11 dollars an hour by myself all of my family was back in connecticut my mom had raised me out here in colorado by herself um and so she was pretty much my only family growing up. Um, yeah. Not that I didn't have, you know, extended relatives. I did, but, you know, I didn't really, I only saw them like once a year when I was a kid. And then as I got older, we didn't travel back every single, you know, summer anymore. And so when my mom died, I definitely felt kind of alone, right? I mean, I had some friends and stuff like that, but um, I definitely felt like, okay, this is my situation. I do not want to be poor. Like I knew I, I have always had this terrible fear of being poor or not having, I wouldn't even say of being poor, but just not having money, not yeah. having money has always been one of my biggest fears or like, you know, like living in like a really, really shitty neighborhood or something. Like I just, yeah. I just, I, I've seen what it's like for people and I don't, I don't want anything to do with it. And so 
it's crazy to like, I was thinking about that question because you had sent me a couple of these questions the other night. And uh, I was thinking about how crazy it is. Like, I don't know where I would be right now. Like wedding videography, it sounds so cheesy, but it's changed my life. It's yeah. absolutely changed the direction of my life. It's changed so many things. And I'll, I'll give you a few examples because that's what you're after here. But um, <laughs> I, I just want people to understand how big of a deal it's been to me. Um, it's changed how I handle money, right? Starting a business has really taught me. First of all, it's taught me how to communicate with people uh, effectively. It's taught me how to negotiate a little bit, which I never really had any negotiation experience before uh -huh. I owned a business. It's taught me how to say yes at the right times, how to say no at the right times. It's taught yep. me, you know, why I shouldn't go out and buy the latest camera, right? Like I've learned so much about just handling money and being responsible and waking up early and putting in as much time as you can every single day to like make yourself a better person, make yourself a better business person, um, make yourself a better videographer. And, you know, it's, it's really changed my whole perspective on life. And it's opened my eyes to see like the way that like, I used to be a certain way, right? And that was wait, kind of waiting like, oh, I hope I get an opportunity soon. I hope I get an opportunity soon, right? And I would never step out and take action. And we talked yeah. about that earlier in the show. But um, it's, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Like, there's just so much crazy stuff. Like, I have a great life. I've got a wife and I've got a two-year-old and I've got this beautiful house that I live in. I drive, like, a pretty decent car um that like people i'm sure would love to have like i've got a lot of things which is fun but you know i don't think money buys happiness but i do think that it, it to some degree does buy freedom and it does Absolutely, buy you yeah it buys you like living stress-free and not worrying about like having a boss who's going to fire me is incredible. Yes, like the, for sure. I hate to use the word empowerment, <laughs> but it's just so empowering to like, know that like I have built up this business and nobody can really take it away from me. Right. Like I may lose a client, right. Maybe there's a client who I don't like and we don't see eye to eye. Thankfully. I mean, so far that hasn't really happened. But if they didn't want to, if they said, oh, you're fired, we don't want to work with you, I'd be like, okay. And it wouldn't bother yeah, me. That's so true. But if I lost my job down at the mill, <laughs> I don't know, people still work at mills. I don't, I don't <laughs> really know, probably somewhere. Uh, then that would be a huge deal, right? Like if I got fired from the TV station, that would be a huge deal. Yeah. And it's just not anymore. And so not having to stress, right? Just, not being scared of people and what they say or what they do or like, are they, do they like me? I mean, I obviously want to be liked and loved and accepted just like anybody, but there's like this degree now where it's like money isn't really this thing that holds me back anymore. Yeah. Um, Great. So I think, I think that's really probably the most satisfying thing. It's kind of living life on your own terms and being mm -hmm. able to, 
make decisions and do things without needing permission from others or needing their um, their approval as much. Uh, I think no, that's... I, I love that. And it's so true. Like, you know, you said something that really, really stood out to me was that, like, I remember there was always that fear or I'm the type of person that like, if, if, if something goes wrong within the work, like I need to have a face-to-face -face confrontation or face-to-face -face with like my manager to kind of feel out the vibe and like reassure myself that I'm okay. And you get those feelings all the time. And uh, it's, it's such an amazing feeling to have full control of yourself and your business. And there's a, a really big difference and, and a, and a feeling of kind of fresh air when, when you really do cut the, cut the ties and you're ready to take on your business full time. Yeah. You know what? I'll say, I'll say two more like really quick things. One is, one is that you, in order to live that kind of life, and I think you could probably speak to this a little bit too, but in order to run a very successful business and be your own boss, one has to have a certain motivation, right? You have to have kind of, you mentioned it actually already, like in the first drive. few minutes of the book. Yeah. It's a, like a drive. It's like a motor. It's like a, you said, I think you said it's like a fire within you or something like yeah. that. Mm -hmm. um, and it's very true. Like if you're not the one who's going to kick your own ass to get into your office and sit down and edit that project, nobody else is going to do it. Yeah. Right. My wife is always like, Hey, why don't you come out here and sit down for a minute? Um, uh, and sometimes I do, but most of the time I'm like, no, I gotta, it's the work day. Like I gotta work. It's yeah. time for me to work. And, um, I, you, you know, there's people out there that would rather be out having fun and I like fun. I think there's a place for fun, but what I like even more than fun is satisfaction. Yeah. Um, and satisfaction is what I get from from working really hard and providing for my family and running this business. And yeah, I fun is great, but satisfaction is, is a whole different whole different feeling. So awesome. Yeah, I definitely, you know, I feel you on that. And I think we spoke about it before too. Like one thing that I that I feel after I left my full-time position and, you know, started to take on my wedding videography full-time was like, it really isn't nine to five anymore. It's like my brain is constantly feeding into this, into this business. And it's like, it's only your own drive and your own power. That's, that's going to continue to run it. And it, that's going to continue to keep the momentum. And, you know, it's, it's like nothing that I, I ever really imagined. It's unreal. Like I said, it's, it is pretty unreal to see it all happening. Yeah. And I think if you're somebody who needs a boss, like you need someone to tell you what to do. Um, otherwise you're just kind of sit going to sit around like either, either you're working in a job that's not for you that you're not excited about and that you don't like, or maybe you're just not cut out to like be your own boss. Right. I think there's part yeah. of that too, that, you kind of need to self-analyze and say, am I somebody who's going to thrive under the pressure of knowing that I'm responsible for my next paycheck and generating my next paycheck? Or am I somebody who just wants to be told what to do? And listen, we need, 
those people. So I'm not knocking that. Like if you're somebody yeah. who just needs direction and you need someone to, to kind of, you know, boss you around, I guess, then that's totally fine. But I think there's people out there that need to be honest with themselves about that. Cause a lot of people will start a business and then realize that it's not, it's not all like fun. There's a lot of work involved. So, yeah. Um, and it's continuous. I, I had a friend, um, we kind of sat down and, and he was kind of in the same boat of thinking about like doing photography, photography and videography. And he said something to me that I just couldn't like grasp. And he's like, you know, I, I just get really uncomfortable with like chasing and like chasing people and chasing things and like sending a bunch of emails and not getting a response back. And I just thought like, man, you should see how often I do that, but I do it with the, I don't ever think like, if I don't get a response, I'm going to stop. It's like, I'm going to keep doing this until I get a response. And then after I get a response, I'm going to continue to do it for more responses. And it just never stops, you know? And I feel like you said there are two different types of people and like the ones that just expect it to happen, but you really got to get out there and you got to, you know, put yourself in situations where things can possibly come back. And that's, that's part of being uncomfortable. I mean, that really is like it. People say that all the time. Like some of the greatest leaders have said, if you're not uncomfortable, then you're not, you're not progressing. You're not doing the right thing. You're not growing if you're not uncomfortable. Um, and so it's getting, the hardest part is just getting used to that uncomfortability. Uh, but if you right. can get used to being uncomfortable, like I do this thing when I go on my run in the morning, like 50% of people out here won't like wave or acknowledge you when you run by them, <laughs> like on the trail, which I don't care. But I, I decided, you know what, like, and I used to, it like used to make me really uncomfortable because I'd like wave or like do a little head nod or a little smile or something. And I wouldn't get a response. And I realized that it made me like 50% of the time I wouldn't. And I realized that it made me really uncomfortable. So I was like, why does it make me uncomfortable? And it's because I felt like kind of rejected in some yeah. really small, stupid way. <laughs> but still, that's how I felt. So I was like, I need to overcome this. I need to get to the point where I don't give a shit if that person doesn't wave. I'm going to do it. And when they don't do it back, I'm going to keep running and not feel any sort of difference. Right. Yeah. Like I'm going to be indifferent to their reaction. So now when I run by somebody, I always do like a little hand wave with a smile and then eye contact, right? And yeah. a lot of times they don't respond, they don't do anything. And I've gotten to the point where I don't care. It doesn't yeah. bother me. And once you can kind of like, it's just a stupid small exercise, but once you kind of get to that point where it's like, eh, I know I probably, my hair looks stupid today or whatever, but I don't care. Like, mm -hmm. I know uh, like today, I, I look better without glasses, but I gotta wear my glasses today because my allergies are bad. And people are going to think that I don't look as good as normal. Okay. Well, whatever. <laughs> like you kind of just like develop this. It's like being a superhero almost. You kind of develop like this cape that you can throw on of, you know, I don't really care that much. Yeah. And I mean, I care about bigger things like whatever, but um, the small things you can, you can overcome that stuff pretty easily. So your friend needs to just keep making himself uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> Well, awesome. I know we're getting pretty much to the end here. Um, I wanted to ask uh, you where people, well, really it's just for everybody out there listening. Where can people find you? Like 
I know you're on social media, so like give people like your hashtags and your uh, sure, yeah, all all your social information I would and love all that kind to. of stuff. Yeah, so um, you can find me on Instagram. Um, the name is Sohi Productions. My last name, so my full name is Mina Sohi, and um, also on my website, sohiproductions.com. Uh, I want to be doing a lot more Instagram stories and things like that. Um, so kind of be on the lookout for that. Cool. And it's Sohi, uh, S-O-H-I, correct? Yep. Awesome. Well, Sohi, it's, it's been awesome. I know there's some questions that I, I know we didn't get around to, but we'll, we'll have to have you back for like a round two sometime. Um, Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on. And, you know, you have, have been very helpful throughout, you know, my process as well. So it's great. And I know that there's, there's people out there that are, you know, still confused and testing the waters and that's totally normal, but, you know, find that fire within you and you will see great satisfaction. Well, guys, that was my interview with Mina Sohi of Sohi Productions in Southern California. Make sure you drop Mina a line. Let her know that you heard her on the podcast. Let her know uh, whether you know the things that she was talking about are relevant to you. And make sure you just uh, send her an email. Thank her for her time. That would be awesome. All right, guys. Well, until next time, get out there, book some weddings, shoot some weddings, give your clients awesome value, and I'll catch up with you in the next podcast. Thank you.